Hey, this is Sebastian from the Metal Gods Meltdown, and today I'm joined by... Carl Kennedy from the Rods and Kennedy. It's awesome to be chatting to such a drumming legend tonight. Warrior is the perfect remedy in these dark days of lockdowns and total uncertainty. Are you going to be doing a live stream, as you obviously won't be able to do a show or anything? We absolutely are. We recorded a... 30-minute uh, virtual concert, and hopefully that'll be announced soon. It's coming out um, very soon. So I'm excited. It was a weird thing to do, I have to say. It was fun to get back together and play, but it was also kind of weird to be playing to just a few people with cameras. So can you tell me which is your favorite track on Warrior today and why? You know, that's one of those questions musicians and songwriters I always go well they're all like my children and I love all of them but I'll tell you that Atia was a song that was written by Charlie and Tony and Tony had played it for me I play in a band with Tony for the last six or seven years now called the Jeffrey James Band an eight-piece horn band and so Tony and Charlie were working on some material he played it for me, and I loved the song. So when it came time to do Kennedy halfway through the writing process, I suggested we pull that song out. So that's one of my favorite songs. But Warrior is also one of my favorite tracks because that was one of the first songs that we put together, and I thought that kind of gelled the band's sound. Like We, we started writing songs because their drummer wasn't available, and they brought me in to do a TV show. So that's how we started writing. So halfway through the process... It was clear that we were becoming a band. And so, you know, Warrior kind of brought the, that Kennedy sound, if you will, whatever this, the band sound is, together. And so I love it for that. I was a
it is a proper old school metal album. How do you feel the metal genre is to, is in today's climate pre COVID nineteen? I mean, I love a lot of the stuff that's out. Uh, I don't know the names of half of it because, you know, listening to liquid metal and whatever serious radio, you don't always get what the songs are when you're driving. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I even love, you know, people have compared us to Sabaton, which I didn't know about Sabaton. But then I started listening to this stuff and I thought they were great. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I don't think that, uh, you know, I think there's so many, so many great bands out there and um, you know and there's also I hear people bash certain times you know periods of time and oh there's no good music and my older friends always go oh there's no good music since the 80s and my other friends who are a little bit younger no good music since the 90s you know it's just every every genre every group seems to have their no good music since whatever but I always find great music you know Every decade, but you know, I've been around enough decades to actually judge things by the decade. There is some fantastic bands coming out all the time, and it is hard to keep up with what's out there. It really is. Um, so obviously, you started out back in the eighties. Are you glad that you started back then rather than now? Yeah, I think it's. A, I am glad we started back then, mainly because. We played so many gigs when we started. When the Rods first started, we played any place that would have us. We played. We had no money. We were dirt poor. We lived on $5 a day. And our bass player, we still laugh about this to this day, our bass player smoked. So he bought cigarettes out of his $5 a day per diem. So, you know, $5 per diem didn't go very – I mean, it went further, of course, 40 years later. But it was still tough. You know, you were eating oatmeal for breakfast and you were getting like a little sandwich and God knows what for dinner. You know, it was very tight. And uh, so, but we played and we played tons of gigs. And nowadays that's harder to play. And as we built a following, we started getting money. Like when we initially started, we were clearing rooms out. People hated us. They run for the exits. We'd be left with just a road crew and maybe a girlfriend or two. But... We would empty clubs, but as we got further along, we started developing a following, and then we started making money. Today, bands have to host each other, bands have to buy tickets, sell tickets for the show, which is essentially buying on. Um, so it's very difficult for bands to make money, it's very difficult for bands to play. So in that sense, I think starting when we did was great, because we had that period of time where we were on the road and we've known each other we got to know each other so well from being in a pressure cooker no money playing as many gigs as we could recording in between for nothing and borrowing money from everybody it gave us a sense of unity and it carried us through so during periods of time when we were off when we reunited it all came back immediately because we knew each other well and i don't know that you have that today but i was saying about the kennedy thing us starting writing material and doing it every week after a year and a half or so, we started realizing we had an album of material we were very proud of, but we were also had become a band. And it gave us that time to just be working in a, in a studio where you hear everything well and you write songs together and you get to know each other. So in one sense, Kennedy not being on the road still benefited from that little bit of a pressure cooker environment where we got to know each other, learn how each other plays while you're writing material. 
I mean, I have seen there has been some small gigs in the USA, hasn't there? Was there a plan to get Kennedy out on the road at some stage? Well, we're going to be, we've only played one gig and everything else shut down. Along with the Rods, we had gigs booked and um, Legions, Legions of Metal, for example, um, and some other outdoor shows of our own. Right now, Kennedy is booked in a couple of hours from here where we live for a show that uh, will be a TV broadcast as well. And that's the only thing we have on the books right now. <clears throat> and the way things are going here in America, I really don't know. I think it's all up in the air because people were trying to open and people aren't being safe. And so we're winding, in a winding up in a bad position. So if they're going to shut things down again, who knows when we're going to play. It's like being, it's like you're going to wake up tomorrow and this has been that awful dream. It's, I just I just sort of like equate it to being either a James Herbert or Stephen King horror movie, but we just don't know which one we're going to come for, or emerge from at the moment. It's, it's funny you say that because I was out and I'm looking at people and we all have our masks on and we're all doing normal things. But I'm thinking we're surrounded by the invisible monster everywhere we go. And it was the Twilight Zone. We all act like wearing masks is normal to protect ourselves from the invisible invader. But it's really crazy, strange time. Could you give us some news then on the rods and when can we expect a new album? And also, can you tell me what is it that's kept you going strong for so long? The news on the rods is David and I were together last week and we're putting together material and we have three songs for the new album Shockwave and we have other ideas and things we're putting together. So I'll be, we'll be getting together soon and the band will be getting together. We have a new singer, Mike um, Santos Sierra, who is actually the singer of Kennedy and, um, and Freddie Villano from Quiet Riot and uh, Dee Snyder playing bass. So the lineup, we sound really good. I'm very happy. We all fit together, personalities, musically. So the, the big goal right now is to work on Shockwave to have that album done for early 2021. And so we're on track for that. As far as what keeps me going all these years, you know, when I, when I was four and a half, I, my mother took me to a wedding reception. And I remember it was an American Legion. And it had a tank out front. Of course, I'm four and a half, so... The tank is freaking awesome, right? You're four and a half in this huge tank. But then we go inside, and the first thing I saw, and I remember it, a little railing with an opening in the middle, a little tiny bandstand, maybe six or eight inches off the floor, and uh, maybe a foot, who knows, I, I was four and a half. But my memory is that the drum set was in the middle. I believe it was red, and it was like the Alleluia singers um, singing and the white light shining down on the drum set. From that moment on, all I wanted to do was play drums. And I didn't get to play drums because we were poor and uh, just couldn't afford it until I was 13 when I conned my mother into signing a horrible contract for a horrible set of drums. But once I got that, I never looked back. I practiced five or six hours a day. And uh, I don't know, I just have always had that passion. And I still have that passion to this day. So for me, every day I can make music or play my drums, it's like... Thank you, God, because that's what I love the most. That's my passion. Of course, you've had an amazing career, 
but what would you say is one of your is your biggest highlight? I've had so many wonderful um, highlights in my career that I'm grateful for, but probably the best was Ronnie Dio singing a song that I had written called "The Code," and Ronnie was coming in. You know, of course, David and Ronnie being related and cousins and also playing in the band Elf together. And Ronnie and David were tight. So Ronnie was going to sing two songs for David's solo album or for the Rods or split it one way or the other. But we had worked on Metal Will Never Die, and uh, that was going to go on David's album. But then The Code was a song that I had written, and David thought that would be a perfect song for Ronnie to sing. So graciously offered up, like offered that song up as opposed to one of his own, his own. So I'm always, you know, grateful to him for that. But it was really a career highlight watching Ronnie sing my song, seeing what he did. I mean, he was such a master. He was so unbelievable. And David, I've worked with, you know, produced over 40 albums. I've worked with singers and I work closely with them and, and I love singers. So I love working on vocal tracks. But I'd never worked with someone who could just ace it in one take. It just never happens, you know. It's a, it's a rare breed. And I didn't actually think, David telling me this over the years, I thought, oh, you know, his memory is kind of, uh, we'll see. So then Ronnie comes in and he knocks it out in one take. I think he redid two lines because he wanted to try something different. And just, I was blown away. And he was so kind. He was so concerned about not affecting my vocal, my melody, and I just had carte blanche from me going in, but he would still ask, Carl, is it okay if I change this a little bit? And, uh, you know, of course it was absolutely okay, but he was just such a great guy, so it was a great experience, and it was an honor to have Ronnie James Dio sing a song that I had written, so probably cite that as my biggest career highlight. Treasure in the car 
stuck in quarantine for a year which four famous musicians would you have with you and why well one would be probably Jimmy Page because um, I love his songwriting I love his playing but I love his songwriting Jimmy Page epitomizes a lot of what I love about metal or hard rock or whatever you'd want to call it in that he's very rhythmic he's very almost funky the way he plays plus he has an acoustic side as well, but he's also just a raw riff master. So I would want him. I would want Paul McCartney. I've always been a huge fan of Paul McCartney because he's just a brilliant musician all around and a great songwriter, but he also experiments. He's always trying new sounds, and not that we all get to hear them because they're not all released as mainstream, but um, you know, he's always writing and experimenting. So he would be one. And then uh, four musicians. Hmm. You know, there's so many great vocalists that uh, you know. I'd have to say probably if Ronnie would be my first choice, but if you're talking only living, then I would have to choose someone else. But uh, Ronnie would be the other one. And then uh, for bass player, I always loved. Well, there's so many. I love Billy Sheehan. I love Billy's approach. Um, so, I, you know, I would probably say Billy Sheehan. Again, I want to congratulate you on Warrior. Can you tell us why we should check it out? Well, I think Warrior is 
a really good representation, A, of some of my best drumming, which I'm very proud of. And I think that it's a, an album that was written by four guys who wrote for the song. Nobody wrote for themselves. Nobody wrote a part that, well, I just want this to be a cool drum groove, so we'll write a song around it, and I don't really give a damn if the song is good. The drum groove is cool, and it shows I get to show off. It was not like that. Everybody focused on the song, and we wanted them to be songs that would stand the test of time and that we were proud of and weren't going to be embarrassed about them five years from now. So I'm really proud of that album for that reason. And I think that it's also an album that we made that I think all of us remember because we all listen to modern music. But the thing we all talk about is when we were young and first started, we would pick up an album. And in doing so, the album, you'd look at the cover, read, read anything on the cover. I was always into who produced it, who published it. But you would have an album that when you put the needle on the record, you would hear the first song. The last song would be very similar, and if you liked the first song, most likely you would like the last song and all the songs in between. And that's the kind of record that we wanted to make, an album that wasn't jumping around and crazy, different directions, but was this is what the band's about, and we're going to give you samplings of different versions of the songs we write, all within the style of the band. So I felt we succeeded at that. And so I think, I'm, you know, if you're going to listen to a couple tracks, check it out and sample it and see if you agree. Small, intimate gig or festival? Oh, those are tough. The first, the first gig that I played was with, Blue, that the Rods played was with Blue Oyster Cult. Um, we had played a gig at a theater with, with Judas Priest, but that was prior to the Rods finishing the album and with Gary on bass. So we're playing to 10,000 people or maybe 8,000 people. I can't remember what the arena holds in Binghamton, New York. And so we hit the stage. And because we were local guys, basically, um, a lot of the crowd knew us. So we had a thunderous reception. And I don't even remember how well I played or if I could hear. I have no clue about how we were. I just remember at the end, the crowd, the whole place went nuts. And that was the best feeling in the world because here we've been playing shitholes where people were running out like they were leaving us to our own devices it was like we had more people at a rehearsal than we did at that club sometimes so to go from that to being on stage at an arena where people are just loving what you do and applauding crazily that was incredible and then i threw my drumsticks to the crowd wailed them out there because i'd seen so many drummers come out at the end and wail the sticks out to the crowd and they walk off stage and my manager says Carl, don't ever throw your sticks out to the crowd again. That's a lawsuit. He had a very soft voice, way of speaking. And uh, so he was very calm about it, but he totally shot me down. So now when I throw my sticks out, they're always underhanded and to somebody instead of wailing them overhead so I can like nail somebody in the head with them. So I got what he said, but it was disappointing. That was my one and only time to toss my sticks out into the crowd from a big stage. <laughs> oh man okay um vinyl or digital um now that's an interesting question in a perfect world with a killer stereo system a tremendously high quality diamond needle and turntable everything balanced everything eq'd properly vinyl hands down but 
that's almost never the case. So for me, digital, if you're getting CD quality and or better, which now you can have, um, I would say I would go with digital because after the first or second listen vinyl, it's deteriorating. So whereas with digital, you get what you get. And as long as that disc maintains its integrity, you'll get that. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, but it's cool. That's how I look at it. Okay. All right. Next one's hot dogs or beer. Oh, uh, I don't drink. So I would have to say, and you know, I've always been known as the, you're the club soda guy or you're the orange, orange juice guy. Denim or leather. I'm always denim. Leather has been, I've had leather. Playing in leather is like putting on a sweatsuit and then sunbathing. Biden, Trump, or Kermit the Frog? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think Biden is a nice guy. He comes to our area along with Clinton. They're all, they've had like ancestral homes here. So they come and my friends who have Epicurean delights, they take care of them. They cater the events and uh, they're, they're a phenomenal catering company. And so, you know, I hear stories of them just as normal people. Uh, and, you know, so Biden's a really nice guy, I think, but I, I don't know. I don't know if he's a strong enough leader at this particular moment in history for um, for America. Trump is a megalomaniac. He is um, a supercilious bastard. I also agree with some of the things he's done. However, he makes enemies. So instead of making friends and having a synergy of people supporting his ideas, it just he makes enemies. So when you have someone like that, it's basically buffoon time. So even though I support and like some of the things he's done, I can't I can't agree on those things. And so another six years and when he recite when he reads or does a speech all i hear is mumble 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 like a sixth grader he reads like a sixth grader and then he'll pick up something like this oh we're gonna have we're gonna have a a, a vaccine it's gonna be a perfect vaccine it's gonna be the best vaccine ever of all time ask anybody it's the best those other vaccines are crap but our vaccine perfect and then he goes back to mumble 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 so i don't know if i can take four more years of that so Kermit the Frog, I am always delighted to hear Kermit the Frog. So based on that, I guess I would have to say Kermit the Frog. Thank you so much for your time today. The album is ex excellent. I hope you get over to the UK once all this madness has ended. If you have any final words for your fans and our listeners. Well, I do because I always say that I have... When people, I've made so many friends, and the band has made so many friends from people just coming up to us at shows. The Rods do not have current plans to do a paid meet and greet. And so if we're at a show and you want to say hi, please do. Um, we like meeting people. I've had some bad experiences meeting my idols, and I always cite this one, Tommy Aldrich. Um, doing shows with Ozzy, and Tommy was a big favorite. And my friend from Cortland, where the Rods were based, was his drum tech. And uh, I walked by and said, Tommy, you know, you're sitting by the door, truck entrance, and with my friend Ox. And um, I said, Tommy, you're one of my favorite drummers. And I had seen him the night before looking at me during my drum solo from behind stage. And then he sort of darted away when I caught his eye. But I just had to tell him how great he was how much of a fan I was. I did the fanboy thing. And 
So I finish, like, you know, just think you're great, Tommy, you know. He just turns away and doesn't say a word to me. So I will never do that to a fan. I felt that was that was very rude, and my friend Ox just looked at me and shrugged his shoulders, like, what can I, what can I say to you, pal? That's who he is. But I always love meeting fans, and I've made some great friends from it. So if you're at a gig, you want to say hi, I assure you I will not do anything but be anything but nice polite and love to talk to you this is carl kennedy from kennedy and the rods and you're listening to metal gods meltdown Meltdown. 